I'm Paul Valley, and this is the Payoff Pitch on Fanimal Radio, presented by DNL Window Tinting. DNL Window Tinting, we put the shades on the sun. And the 2019 Orioles season is officially in the books. The Orioles finished 54 and 108, second worst record in franchise history next to last season's debacle. Uh, team worst, the team's ERA of 559, worst in Major League Baseball, 305 home runs allowed, a Major League record. Here to talk about with us from the Athletic Baltimore, we have Dan Connolly. Dan, thanks for joining the show today. No problem, Paul. Uh, so we just, I just mentioned briefly the Orioles pitching. Their starters had a 557 ERA, relievers 563 ERA, which surprisingly wasn't the worst. Nationals had the worst at 566. And the 305 home runs allowed. Now there's a caveat there. Four other teams tied or surpassed the previous major league high for home runs allowed in the season, adding more credit to the juiced ball argument. So with that being said, what did we learn about the Orioles considering their pitching staff of rebuild year one. What do we learn about this team this season? Well, I think the first thing is kind of what we all anticipated, and that's there's a long way to go. I mean, there were obviously some positives. There were some things you look to and think, okay, this guy could be a building block. Okay, I like the way they did that, the way they played, how hard they played, things of that nature. But this team, for the most part, was undermanned almost every game it went out. Now, it played hard, and, and, and they had a lot of close games. You know, they battled a lot. I think the last game of the season, Sunday at Fenway Park, was emblematic of that. Mm. But at the same time, it was also emblematic in that there were, you know, there was an obvious mistake or two that led to the demise of the team in that game. And, and I think that's what we really saw more than anything is this team has a little bit of talent and it has a lot of fire, but it's undermanned and it, it's still really learning at the major league level, which is never necessarily a good thing. Absolutely. And... It's one of those things, like you said, they're undermanned. They have a little bit of talent. They have a lot of fire. On offense specifically, they have a fair amount of talent and some more talent coming their way next season. Um, now, this is assuming they tender some guys some contracts, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But they could have an offense featuring Trey Mancini and uh, Jonathan Villar coming off career years, Austin Hayes, who was you know, a buzzsaw in September, Hanser Alberto, Anthony Santander, possibly Ryan Mountcastle and Nunez, Renato Nunez, who's proved to be a 30-homer guy. So this offense could put up some runs next year, but it's all going to come down to the pitching. And this team was, you know, 54 games below 500 because of the pitching mainly. Do the Orioles address their bullpen in free agency? Do they address the rotation in free agency? Or do they kind of go with what they have? Can fans expect another 100-loss season? Because I think that's a tough pill for a lot of people to swallow. I mean, I, I think so. I think it's another 100-loss season. I don't think they spend much money at all in free agency. I think what they do in free agency is if somebody fits their needs and they can get them cheaply, I think they take advantage of that. That's really all I see in free agency. I mean, like Elias was asked specifically, you know, the, the last game at Campus Yards, on his philosophy on maybe, you know, getting a reliever or two to help shore up the bullpen. And he again reiterated that his focus is on – the big picture and not necessarily incremental victories to you know push your win total up from year to year uh he's trying to build this base and one of the things in building the base is using a lot of the budgetary money on other things that helps you overall and i just don't see them going out and getting a six million dollar reliever or a four million dollar reliever um to try and, and and get them three or four more wins in a season that looks like it's going to be another bad one i mean they you know their pitching isn't there. And the guys you mentioned offensively 
all really did take steps forward, and that's great. But you know, it, it's a difficult game. You got to continue to keep the, the, you know, taking steps forward, and you got to stay healthy. And that's one of the things, for the most part, the Orioles did with, especially with the guys that you named. Trey Mancini was healthy pretty much all year. You know, Jonathan Villar played 162 games. You know, and, and sometimes injuries happen and knock you know the guys you were counting on out. And you got to have some depth. You got to have people come through offensively. So, I think that Elias looks at this team as a work in progress. And I don't believe that you're going to see much in free agency. The only thing I would imagine you see in free agency is a Nate Carnes-type guy or, or a Dan Straley-type guy, hopefully with more success or more health than those two. But I think what you see is bargain purchases uh, for veteran-type guys who can add some stability, but nothing that's really going to you know, move the needle. Well, I would tend to agree with you. I was thinking uh, signing along the likes of a Nate Carnes or Dan Straley, like you mentioned, because even – with a team that's rebuilding, you have to have starters and you have to have depth for that starting rotation. As we look at it right now, assuming Alex Cobb is healthy and he hasn't been, you really only have four guys if Ashley Wojciechowski is still on this team next year for that five-man rotation. So I would imagine they would have to address the rotation in some way, shape, or form. Now, a guy, you, you were talking about guys who all took a step forward offensively. A guy who did not take a step forward offensively, pretty much stayed where he was last year, is Chris Davis. And we know that Albatross of a contract hanging around the Orioles' neck right now. He's making $23 million a year, $17 million because of the deferred money, and he's hitting about one seventy-five. This is a guy they said that is going to be there in spring training, so I would imagine he has a shot to make the team. With Ryan Mountcastle coming up potentially in mid-April or early May, I want to talk a little bit about Renato Nunez. Hit, a, hit in the mid-240s, hit over 30 home runs this year, proved he's a power bat in a major league lineup. But there could be a roster squeeze, and he might be the odd man out. Or do you think that, that there's a chance that he doesn't make this team next year, or are they going to hit him 100 grounders a day at third base and see if he can't stick in the infield? I think given his youth and given what he did this year, I think he has a place in the roster. I certainly think it would be a bit of a surprise if he didn't make the team. But I think going into spring, he's given a, you know, a legitimate shot to make the team, and I would think he would win by default. Uh, you know, as far as Davis, I also think he's got a, a spot in the opening day lineup. Um, and I, I believe this because it's funny. I actually asked the question to Elias about spring training. And it wasn't meant to be that he's just going to be for spring training. I think if we had answered it a different way, he would have told us that he expects uh, Davis to be on the opening day roster. I think that if he's going to be in spring training, they're going to give him an opportunity to be on the major league team. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, it is very, very difficult to get a, a read of somebody in spring training. And, and even if it's a veteran, I think if you're asking him to do different things, asking him to come in, in with a different approach, um, you know, he's going to be working on things in spring training. Results are not going to necessarily be the thing that they are looking at as much as how he takes at-bats, things of that nature. So, therefore, I, I'd imagine that, you know, Chris Davis is on this team on opening day, and, the you know, the, the trial begins at that point and not in spring training. That's my sense. Now, obviously, if he doesn't show anything in spring training and, he, you know, he's completely overmatched, has the same approach and everything else, maybe that's different. But my guess is when you're owing somebody that kind of money and you've already committed over the spring, you've committed over the, you know, to the regular season at least to see if there is any changes. Um, and because, as you mentioned, Ryan Mountcastle may not be up to the team until May, uh, you know, that does give a time to, to reevaluate Davis again and also to reevaluate Nunez. I mean, 
Is there a possibility that Nunez, Mancini, and, and Davis are all on this opening day roster? I think so. I think it would be more of a likelihood than not. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. But my sense is is that Nunez is on this team, Davis is on this team, and obviously Mancini is unless something happens trade-wise. Well, speaking of Mancini, he is an arbitration-eligible player this year. The Orioles have seven of them right now. So first I'm going to start with, on, with the offensive side of the diamond. You have VR, who's going to be 29 in 2020, Mancini, who's going to be 28, and Hunter Alberto, who's going to be 27. All of these guys had career years. Uh, for Mancini, he can play the outfield. Uh, he can play the infield. If Davis is going to be on this roster, he is probably – going to be in the outfield uh, more often than not because Davis is better defensively. Do they tender these guys' contracts? Uh, do they give them extensions? For me, VR is the most interesting case because they don't have anybody to replace him with, but there's going to be some reluctancy there to give him close to $7 million in arbitration um, considering this is a rebuilding ball club. There's no question they tender those guys. I mean, the guys that you mentioned, the two in particular, Mancini and VR, I don't even think that's a, a possibility they wouldn't tender either one of those guys. Um, they're both major leaguers, uh, and, you know, VR will be is a pending free agent after 2020. Mancini's under uh, team contract for three more years right. uh, going into 2020. So there's absolutely no question they tender him a contract. Now, do they tender a VR contract and then trade him before they take an arbitration? That's possible. They've done that before. They did it with Jim Johnson. I could certainly see them doing that. Um, but non-tendering a guy who, you know, who had 24 homers and 40 stolen bases would be ludicrous, would be, you know, malfeasance. Um, so there's absolutely no question in my mind they are going to tender Jonathan VR a contract, whether he is going to be on the uh, opening day roster. I think it's a lot to do with what his trade value really is. Uh, I think the Orioles look at it and don't necessarily see him as a member of the future, especially with one year left on his, you know, before he can become a free agent. <clears throat> so my guess is that they're going to look real hard at, at dealing him, and they're also going to look at, at dealing Mancini and Bundy and Givens and, and see if those guys have a value that they want to, you know, be able to move them and, and get better for the future. My sense is that they'll find a taker in VR just because of the numbers he put up. And mm -hmm. it might be a team that's not necessarily a contender, but a team that, you know, hopes to be a contender and feels like he can, you know, fill a void. The problem with VR is he's looked at by really good teams as a utility guy, and you're not going to give much up necessarily for that. Uh, but I, I do think he'll have value. I don't think Trey Mancini will command the value that the Orioles would want to deal him. Um, because he is their best player, because he is a guy who's kind of the glue and the emerging leader. And frankly, he's also a, a basically considered a first baseman um, who's a, a limited outfielder as far as range is concerned. And first base is a position that most teams feel pretty secure about. I mean, as good of a player as he was for the Orioles, he's kind of sort of run-of-the-mill when, when you look at first baseman, especially first baseman on contenders. So I don't think that a team will necessarily pony up what the Orioles would want to deal Mancini, given all the years of control. And because of that, I would tend to think that Trey Mancini is the opening day first baseman or, you know, or an outfielder, if need be. Right. I would tend to agree with you there. And it's, it's funny that you say that most contending teams would view a player like Jonathan VR as a utility player. This is a guy on the right side of 30, put up the numbers you mentioned, scored 111 runs this year. 
to me, that's a guy that you want to have in your lineup every single day. But we also do have do tend to overvalue our own players. Um, not that I'm on the team, but we tend to overvalue the players that we see play every single day. Now, you mentioned Dylan Bundy. You have to look, you have to look at something. Just, just a point on that. You have to look at, you know, and, and it's not his fault. We're not taking wins and, and putting him on one player. But this guy has never really been on a winning team. Whenever he was on a winning team, then within the next year he was traded. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a sense that Jonathan Villar is one of those get you over the hump kind of players, but not a guy you want to go to war with every single day as a contender. He's a, he's a good player, but he is a very aggressive player. He's a guy who does some things on the base pass in particular that make you scratch your head at times. And teams that are contenders, teams that are, are right there, the New York Yankees or whatever, they, I, I think, look at you know, the Houston Astros who dealt away Johnson VR. I, I think those teams look at guys like VR as, somebody we'd like to have in, in certain situations, but not a player that we want to necessarily put 162 on simply because, there, you know, there are things they do that, that, that may not help a winning team. And I, I think that that's something that's in the mind of a lot of people, whether that's true or not, whether Johnson VR has matured as a hitter or not, or as a player, I mean, that's, you know, for the eye of the beholder. But I think the sense out there is he's a good player, but maybe he's not the guy who championship that is an interesting take on a player like Jonathan VR because watching him on the base pass especially in the first half was pretty maddening it seemed like he got picked off at least once a week and I can see how a contending team would say that a guy being overly aggressive in certain situations might cost the team so I totally get that I never thought about it from that perspective um the other guys that are arbitration eligible uh, you're looking at Dylan Bundy Michael Givens uh, Miguel Castro and Richard Blyer, none of them had outstanding seasons. Givens took a step back. Blyer took a huge step back. Castro is an interesting case. He's got a live arm, electric arm, 372 ERA in 29 second-and-a-half games, and even that ERA is a little bit inflated because of that five-run game he had back on September 18th. Of all these guys, would they all be considered contracts, or is there somebody in there who you think might be non-tendered? Well, you know, I think they center Castro and Bundy. I don't think Castro's not going to make that much money, and there's obviously an upside there. And he's the kind of guy you kind of want to see what happens as he gets older and learns the game a little bit more. And Bundy, you're already searching for starting pitching, and he's a guy who does give you innings and, you know, has shown flashes. So I think you, you tender him as well. I don't think those two are really much of a question. Mm-hmm. The other two, the veteran relievers, are the ones that I think you, that there is going to be some pause to, um, given and – Blyer, Blyer, given his age, you know, he's over the, the 30 situation now. And, and I mean, he's, he's been a really good reliever in the past. He did have a difficult year this year. But part of it also is he's coming back from, you know, a surgery, and, and it's tough to come back from that and regain what you have, especially when you have to be really fine with the pitches the way Richard does. I, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with those two, to be honest. And, and I mean, I could see, like I mentioned Jim Johnson previously, I could see a situation where they tender him like give him the contract and then deal him. I also can see a situation where they think, you know what, we don't have a lot of veteran relievers. Let's give these guys you know, another year. Let's send them the contracts. Let's go through arbitration with them. And then when we get to you know, to July or whatever, if, if they've gotten to the point where they look good and they look like they're you know, guys that can be dealt, they'll have more value then 
than now. I mean, obviously, they, they both have several years before free agency. So it's a situation where I don't think they have to rush if they want to spend that money that way. I do think that if they get rid of Richard Blyer and get rid of Michael Gibbons, they're going to be looking for a Richard Blyer and a Michael Gibbons somewhere else. So my sense, you know, the veteran guys that can kind of help in the bullpen. So my sense is they're going to be likely to uh, to tender them, but I, I could also completely see it the opposite way, especially with Blyer, you know, kind of given his age and, and um, you know, both of them have had good track records. But I think given, given all the strikeouts he had and given the fact that oftentimes relief situations are, you know, kind of year to year, Buck Showalter always used to say that the one that the type of reliever he wanted to target is a guy with a track record who had a bad year because oftentimes it's cyclical and the next year they come back and pitch well. And I could see that happening uh, for both of those guys. So I don't think it's an urgency to get rid of either one of them. It really depends, like, honestly, on what the budget is going to be with the Orioles. Absolutely. And you mentioned the track record. Blyer, you know, three straight seasons with a sub-2 ERA until he got hurt. 368 ERA in the second half of the season has a he would have an opportunity to have a completely healthy offseason, go through a normal routine, come into spring training healthy, maybe reclaim that bullpen job and re, regain a little bit of the trust that he may have lost this past season. Givens, you know he's he's going to be 30. I didn't realize that he was as old as he is, but he's going to be 30 when that season when the season starts uh, next year or just after it starts has that live arm, but he's under team control for, I believe, three more seasons. And I think they'd be more likely to tender him a contract and then trade him if they have to. I think he proved that he's not really a major league closer. Some people just aren't meant to do that, but I think he could be a solid late-inning reliever for this team if that's what they're looking for. Well, a couple things with it is It's two more seasons, 20 and 21, where he would be under control. And I think that that will play into it a little bit. I do think that the situation with closer, I think we can make that, uh, you know, assessment that he's not a closer. At the same time, you know, he was asked to do a lot. He was asked True. for four and five innings to begin with, and he was asked to come in in the sixth and seventh innings. I think, you know, at least my opinion is, I believe roles are very important in a bullpen. And I'm not necessarily saying that there can't be different guys that can close. I think that roles are good. You know, if, if you get a guy and you put him in the ninth inning, Role and it doesn't work out, then you put somebody else in that ninth inning role. I'm not saying it's married to a closer, but I do think that when that phone rings, it's really helpful for those guys to know it's going to be them or not. And I think that's something that really has had a luxury with Brandon Hyde in this bullpen because the bullpen has fluctuated so much because there's been so many different arms and so many arms that have been ineffective. And so I think he's leaned on guys like Givens in particular uh, in all different kind of places and all kinds of different roles. And I think it's hard to make an assessment that this guy can't close or this guy can't, when you just keep being asked of all kinds of different things. And I, so I think that – I don't think that the industry would look at Michael, Michael Givens as a closer, but I also think that he could still be your best option as a closer right now, given these arms, um, if you can't get somebody who's effective in that position. And if you can, then, you know, I think he'd be much better off as an eighth inning guy. Don't get me wrong. But I think what the Orioles need to do and what they were so very good at – from 2012 to 2016, at least until the last game of 2016, was knowing what the roles are, knowing who's coming in, and being ready for that. And I think that that's something that's absolutely huge in major leagues. When you look at good bullpens, they, for the most part, do that. I mean, Josh Hader, obviously, last night was a, was a bad yeah, example of yeah. it. But, but Josh Hader, 
was was used to coming in the eighth inning. I mean, like like he you know he knows he's a closer, but he knows his role is to get multiple outs and, and multiple innings. Um, and so that's something that I think he is prepared for. And I think that is exceptionally important. And that happens when you have multiple guys do multiple roles effectively, and then you can pit, put them in their specific spots. And I think if Michael Gibbons is given a role, whatever that role is, I think he can be good at that so long as there's some continuity. Absolutely. There's something to be said for continuity and for stability. And I think that adding guys to your bullpen like a Hunter Harvey, uh, a Dylan Tate, and then maybe if you get the same pitcher next year that you got out of Evan Phillips in September and Tanner Scott in September, that could go a long way to stabilizing that bullpen and bringing in some of that continuity to having roles set up for each guy. Because when you know what you're going to do, like you said, when you know your role, you probably get a little bit more comfortable and relaxed in that particular setting. Right. And, you know, and if you look at, at the way they built the bullpens in the 2012-2016 years, I mean, they basically added a guy almost every year. Like, they added a key component to a, t- to a, a group that was already fairly established. Mm-hmm. And that's really helpful because the, the pressure is not necessarily there. They can feed it to them a little bit. And then they, you know, those pitchers get confidence. Those young pitchers get confidence to come through. I mean, you know, Brandon Klein pitches two good games, and now all of a sudden he's pitching, in a, you know, one-run game in the eighth inning. Um, you know, the, the same for for Evan Phillips. I mean, you know, you you have to kind of, I don't want to say ease these guys into it, but it's a confidence thing. And relievers are going to give up runs. That's what happens. And so I think if you can get, if you can get to the point where they have a couple established roles, a couple of established relievers in that bullpen who are effective. Then those other young guys can really come along because you know they're being eased into the pressure, and once they get the confidence that they can pitch, pitch at this level, then they can move into something else. And that's what Michael Gibbons has done. You know, I mean, he was a he started out as kind of a situational mop up kind of guy, and you know, and, and where he is now. Yeah, well, hopefully he can uh, continue to carve out his niche, and some other guys can carve out their niches and make the Orioles a little bit more competitive next year. Uh, Dan, I know that you're a busy guy. I know that you have uh, that your time is in high demand. So I'm going to let you go here in just a minute. I have one last question for you, if you bear with me here. Uh, I know you already said that this is probably a hundred loss team for a third consecutive season next year. Uh, the Astros lost a hundred games three years in a row, and they eventually went on to win a World Series in 2017. Orioles are kind of following that blueprint with this rebuild. What would you urge fans to consider and to? look at moving into next season so they don't lose their minds because 100 loss season is tough enough, let alone three. I mean, it's obviously just kind of watching the growth. I mean, you know, there, there are guys who emerge this year. There will be guys who emerge next year. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's funny because I don't think I've ever written as much about the minors than I did this year, and I don't think that people were as interested in the minors as they were this year. And I, I caution people in that in one sense because what guys do in the minors doesn't necessarily mean they're going to excel in the majors. Um, you know, Manny Machado about 260 in Double A and was a godsend when he came to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Other guys, you know, have won five ERAs and get to Baltimore and, and give it up and, and you know can't stick. So it, it really has to do with the maturation of the player and, and the, the talent of the player. But I think if I'm a fan and you know, and I want to get through these 100 loss seasons, what I do is I fixate on some of the, the players and some of these blocks. And you know, whether you can get a building block or a nugget, as as Showalter used to say, and kind of combine a bunch of these guys together. Uh, you know, even though they didn't lose 100 games, 
I mean, there were some brutal teams in the, you know, 2006, 2007, 2008 years, nine years. But then you started seeing it come together a little bit. You started seeing Matt Weiders come, and then Chris Tillman come, and then Andy Machado come. And suddenly in 2011, you know, you, you saw a lot of bright spots, and bam, it happened in 2012. So I think that's what the focus has to be is that, you know, they're building on some talent, and hopefully some of these pitchers will stay healthy and be able to do what they've done in the minors. Good stuff, man. Thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. We've been trying to get you on the show for a while, so I'm glad we could finally yeah, do it, even if it was the, uh, the season recap. But um, really appreciate you coming on. I think our fans are really going to enjoy the show. So thanks for taking some time for us today, and uh, good luck this offseason. Hopefully we'll talk to you again next year. Absolutely. Thanks for sticking with me. It has been uh, kind of difficult to, to find, pin me down, but I'm glad we finally had a chance to do it, Paul. Hey, man, beats the alternative. I'd rather be busy than not, right? Correct. Absolutely. Correct. All right, man. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Now we're going to get a word from our sponsor. When we come back, I'm going to close out this season's show uh, with a little bit of a heartfelt message for my listeners. But first, a word from DNL Window Tinting. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings in too much warmth, even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills. Drain the color from your fabrics and furnishings and cast a blinding glare on your television or computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Welcome back to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting. And folks, that's going to do it for the Payoff Pitch this year. We are going to do uh, one episode a month during the offseason until we get back into a weekly episode starting in spring training. But I just want to take this opportunity, and if I get a little bit emotional, I apologize. Um, I started this show in 2016 in my basement. Uh, and then you fast forward to the 2019 season, and I have a platform to talk about Orioles baseball every week with seemingly hundreds of listeners, hopefully more in the coming years. And for me, this, is, this has been an absolutely awesome opportunity. The Orioles and Major League Baseball as a whole were my very first love, no offense to my fiance, uh, but they were my very first love and my absolute passion. And to get to talk Orioles baseball weekly has been such a godsend for me. And to be perfectly honest with you, this 2019 Baltimore Orioles season is one of the worst in franchise history from a wins-loss perspective. But for me, it's been one of the more fun seasons that I've ever covered because I got to do what I love to do. And they say that if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's always the goal, right? So for me, none of this season has been work. This has been my absolute joy, my absolute pleasure to talk with you all about Orioles baseball every week for the last six months I'm really looking forward to doing the show and taking it to another level next season uh, with the payoff pitch, the payoff pitch prospect report. I'm looking to get uh, more and more guests, maybe get some players on here. That remains to be seen. But I'm trying to grow this show, and I hope you guys grow with me. And I hope that we can all welcome in a new foundation of winning Orioles baseball together, and I hope that this show one day is at the forefront of your Orioles information highway so thank you so much for tuning in to the payoff pitch this season once again i'm paul valley 
Really love talking with you guys, and we'll be talking in about a month or so. Until then, as always, go O's, and hey, stick with it, guys. This team's going to be good sooner than you think. Take care, guys. Thanks for tuning in.